everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Catholic Libertarian. Today I'm sitting down with Scott Horn to talk about some Star Wars. Scott is the director of the Libertarian Institute, editorial director of antiwar.com, uh, host of Antiwar Radio. Um, has conducted more than 5,400 interviews. Jesus, that's a lot. <laughs> and he also fools air in time to end the war in Afghanistan and edited the great Juan Paul and this great book, Enough Already. Scott, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. So we're going to talk some Star Wars. Um, what, what's your Star Wars story? Like, when did you first see Star Wars? When were you and what, what got you into Star Wars exactly? Okay, so uh, I first saw Star Wars in the spring of uh, I saw Empire Strikes Back in the spring of 1981 uh, when I was almost four. And uh, so then I was just a, a full scale Star Wars kook for the rest of my childhood. I <laughs> There was a time there where I was interested in Transformers and G.I. Joe because they had a couple of cool ships and stuff. But basically, I was a full Star Wars dork from the time I was four through, you know, I don't know, I guess today <laughs> uh, still. But like, you know, when I was real young, like through 10, age 10 or whatever, it was all Star Wars toys. And and, you know, when we played guns in the woods, oftentimes it was Star Wars, you know, probably more times than not. It was Star Wars guns, you know, that we we're playing that kind of thing. Um, and so, and I always was really interested in like the backstory of how the Republic became the empire and all that. Cause Obi-Wan Kenobi alludes to it a couple of times, but then that's yeah. about it. So me and my other kind of star Wars dork friends would sit around and wonder what was the old Republic and, and what had happened and who was the Senator Palpatine that they referred to on the back of the Darth Vader, uh, action figure, but nowhere else or whatever it was, you know, back then. Oh, and I did. You had to mail away when the Emperor first came out, when Jedi first came out. You had to have like proofs of purchase to mail away to get the Emperor in a little cardboard box. You know, wow. I was one of those. I was a subscriber to Bantha Tracks and, you know, wow. all that. So, and then, um, yeah, I don't know. So go ahead. That's awesome. That's a lot of, that's a lot of Star Wars history. Yeah, hell yeah. So, so the, in the prequels, uh, were you a fan of the prequels when you saw them in Cedars, or did you kind of like end up kind of growing to like them more the more you, more you saw them, or what was your prequel experience like? <laughs> it's funny. You know, I guess really the, the most uh, honest way to put it would be I liked them at first just because of how in denial I was of how horrible they were and how much I wanted to like them, and for various reasons I could elaborate, but um and i came to really like them much less later i think you know everybody saw them red letter media reviews where the guy just trashes the shit out of him and he's right you can't ignore you know he really is yeah right. um but then the sequels saved the prequels because my friend at least the prequels are true right at least that's the real history of the galaxy as seen in this documentary shot by this lucas guy but the sequels, this is just trash made up by some yeah. idiot that doesn't have anything to do with anything and doesn't make a lick of sense, not one mm -hmm. bit of it. It's just absolutely horrible and never happened as far as I'm concerned. So now I'm like, well, look, the prequels, they could have been executed much better. And probably yeah. I chose the wrong path in life. I should have gone to work for <laughs> Lucas to be like Rick McCallum's assistant and say, you know how Rick agrees with you about everything? I really think this needs another look. And the problem is I'm no screenwriter. What was I going to do? Punch the thing up and make it great. <laughs> but I could have told him what not to do yeah. on quite a few things. But 
and here's the real point is there's value in it to me because of the story that's still in there anyway as poorly executed mm -hmm. as it is in, in many places of you know of course how anakin becomes darth vader is mm -hmm. is the central story being told but in the background is how the republic becomes the empire which is through deception and war mm -hmm. and then but also even cooler than that especially from like turn of the millennium me's point of view mm -hmm. is you have the whole skull and bones evil secret society of the <laughs> sith behind the scenes doing all the conspiracy theory manipulation of everybody mm. and so you know one of the things they didn't play very well that i think you know is so obvious right mm. is they should have had it where kind of like so there's just an illusion somewhere to how the average <laughs> schmuck on corazon knows that Palpatine is behind everything. Everybody knows that. <laughs> what are you, stupid? Right? Every cab mm -hmm. driver conspiracy theorist on Coruscant, right? Mm -hmm. But Yoda is up in his ivory tower meditating. Mm -hmm. And Mace Windu is out on the front leading, right? And they're so detached from the population they're supposed mm -hmm. to be defending that they can't see the forest for the trees they know there's a sith lord somewhere they can't get it through their thick freaking skull that it's the oh, chancellor yeah. himself because of their arrogance right mm -hmm. because of how detached i think having having yoda involved in the day-to-day -day in the movies was totally wrong yoda should have always been unavailable mm -hmm. off meditating doing some high-minded he thinks but truly he's neglecting what's going on in the world Mm. right because he's so caught up in his higher plane of existence over there so then things are left to lesser intellects stronger jedi knights but but lesser intellects like mace mm. windu to go out there and kick ass but miss the fact that they're actually fighting for their enemy and screwing everybody over that, you know? that, that's the point i brought up uh was uh i interviewed a couple people earlier this week about star wars and the only mm. saving grace of episodes nine eight and whatever they were seven eight and nine is Luke saying the uh, Jedi Order needed to end because of the arrogance? He's he's dead on. Mace Windu is so arrogant. Everything could have been avoided if he just was a little bit, you know, not stupid. Well, and see, like it's, I mean, really, this is one of Lucas's failures because this was supposed to be part of the story of the prequels, and you know, it's even the same thing in the Clone Wars cartoons where the Republic are the good guys up until like the last season and a half. And then it's like all of a sudden they forced this transition to the Empire there mm. where they really could have done such a better job of showing how here are the Jedi Knights invading a neutral planet because mm -hmm. strategically it's necessary. And here mm -hmm. are the Jedi Knights torturing and abusing prisoners because somebody said it's just, you know, enhanced interrogation to save mm -hmm. lives in the end or whatever it is. Show them transgressing, show them you know, really disgracing their own legitimacy, undermining their own legitimacy in the mm -hmm. mind of the people that they're supposed to serve, walking too much in the dark themselves, mm -hmm. and then that much easier to topple by Palpatine's hand. And instead, they kind of, they don't really play that right, because yeah. it is for kids, and it's Obi-Wan and Anakin, so it's so hard to say, like, okay, here's your heroes, they're doing the wrong thing the whole time, mm -hmm. but that's the story. And in fact, probably the most impressive part because i did go see all three movies like right when they came out in the theater kind of thing mm -hmm. and probably the most like hell yeah they did that right kind of moment that i had through the thing was they build up the suspense where the jedi are all surrounded with the droids at the end of episode two mm -hmm. and then look 
and Yoda comes with the stormtroopers in white. Mm. And you go, oh, like if you're paying attention, mm. look at that. It's the Jedi who bring the stormtroopers into battle. Mm -hmm. It's the Jedi who essentially conquer the galaxy with stormtroopers mm -hmm. in the name of protecting the galaxy from this phony droid threat that got built mm -hmm. up. Such yeah. a great metaphor for all different things, right? It is. But that they executed well. In fact, I remember I went to see episode two with a friend of mine who wasn't that interested in Star Wars, and so he didn't get it. Mm. And I'm like, man, did you get the part where it's Yoda shows up with the stormtroopers? Mm -hmm. That's supposed to be meaningful. That because how else could the bad guys have taken over the galaxy? And then mm -hmm. the answer is, oh, he tricked the good guys into doing it for him. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, as we see in episode three, stabs him in the back and and owns everything. Oh, that's one point. Know, like there was some good execution there. It just mm -hmm. could have been better. This it really does everything. Everything bad that happens falls on the failure of the the Jedi. Like they right. get a bunch of soldiers out of nowhere that they told, hey, they're programmed to never disobey orders. And they never once say, huh, maybe that could be used against us later. Like they, they also have no moral qualms against using basically slave labor. It's just like there's no question that this is uh, uh, more qualms with this. It's ridiculous. It's right. Hmm. And you know, there could have been there could have been more made of the mystery of wait a minute. Isn't it funny that we know that our army was based on a clone of a guy who was palling around with our enemy. The yeah. last time we saw him, he was at the right hand of the guy we're fighting. So why would the guy we're fighting, you know, I mean, that's a clue right there that, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Anyway, but then, so that's part of the story. It's like, oh, the dark side clouds our judgment or whatever. It should have been more about Yoda's kind of neglect mm -hmm. should have been more, you know, involved mm -hmm. there, where there's sort of like too much of a hands-off approach from him. And so there's nobody really who can say the thing. Anyway, I just thought it would be a good joke if like any any cab driver on Corazon <laughs> could have told you that obviously there's one guy behind both sides of the war here. Yeah, you know, that would have been hilarious. Um, that would have been awesome. <clears throat> yeah. But now. So there is a lot of great stuff in there, right, where. Mm -hmm. And again, it is all poorly executed. I kind of have to put that on the parentheses on everything. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when the prequels, um, when I guess just episode one came out, um, I'm not exactly sure when he wrote this. I think it was around just the time of episode one. Mark Thornton wrote this, who's this great Austrian school economist from the mm -hmm. Ludwig von Mises Institute. Oh, yeah. and, and he wrote this thing all about, you know, the kind of libertarian politics of episode one. And this is the kind of stuff that only a libertarian could love, right? So mm -hmm. at the beginning, the very beginning of the yellow crawl at on episode one is... Mm -hmm. The taxation of trades of trade routes is in dispute. Mm -hmm. And the whole world was like, oh, God, what in the world? What are you doing to me, George mm -hmm. Lucas? You son of a. But Mark Thornton is like, rad. That's how all wars start, man. It's the taxation of trade yeah. routes. You know, and he he's all, you know, his mind starts worrying. <laughs> so he wrote this whole thing about he's actually trying to make sense out of Lucas's sort of muddled narrative here. Mm -hmm. Because on Lucas has it that this is the trade federation that's besieging the planet, but it doesn't really make sense why a trade federation would want to do that. It makes yeah. more sense that they're like a taxation authority, like a Blackwater mm -hmm. type mercenary outfit, or like the British East India type cartel that's you know forcing this um, this planet to pay their taxes to the central government, and they're refusing to do it. Or something like that just would have made more sense than having it be the Trade Federation. They wanted to get across that it's, you know, 
corporate corruption and greed is at the root of what's wrong with the Republic is why it can't withstand the assault from the Sith is because it's already decrepit and ready to fall mm -hmm. anyway, is kind of part of the story there. But, um, but then, you know, he takes the direct analogy that Lucas must have meant that I would have missed that Naboo is half India and half Jamaica under <laughs> the domination of the British East India Company. That's the <laughs> parallel that he takes from that and how, if you look at the role of, of uh, Queen Amidala, she's like um, an Indian princess, you know, under the British Raj is kind of like her role there. And then you have the Jar Jar Binks and all these idiots are the represent the Jamaicans under British control on the other side of the planet. It's this far flung empire dominating both there was mm -hmm. the illusion there that he makes. And then um, I forget there were more points about episode one about. I mean, there's obviously like the conspiracy theory take there where it's the senator from the planet has arranged the invasion of his own planet in order to generate what he even calls a sympathy vote for him mm -hmm. to replace the old chancellor chancellor and become the new chief executive. So mm -hmm. that's, you know, the big thing there. And then in episode two, there seems to be, you know, real direct references to the American Civil War mm -hmm. where when they create the new army, they call it the Grand Army of the Republic, which was mm -hmm. the original name of the Northern Army. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, it was probably DiLorenzo um, oh, wrote. <laughs> there was yes. a, a piece, it, it may have been him, that was called uh, Emperor Palpatine or Chancellor Palpatine, meet Abraham Lincoln. And it had like all these great parallels of how these guys seized power and consolidated mm -hmm. their republic into an empire okay. and all of this stuff. Um, and then uh, I'm trying to think of like the more, the, the, the closer references, but you know, obviously in that scheme, you have Count Dooku is like, um, you know, Jefferson Davis or General mm -hmm. Lee kind of like the leader cross between those two leaders of the South. And then only in this scheme, General Lee slash Jefferson Davis was secretly working for Abraham Lincoln all along. Mm -hmm. And the whole thing was just a ploy just to raise that grand army of the Republic. Mm -hmm. So they could finish conquering the West or whatever it is um, and move on to the yeah. Philippines. Um, yeah. Like, but go ahead. I was going to say, uh, one of the things that um, we watched the prequels after, like, I watched them as a like, younger and I rewatched them again recently for this podcast I'm doing. After, like, really getting into libertarian philosophy and all that kind of stuff, it all could have been avoided. They simply respected the right. It is few planetary systems to succeed. That's it. Mm -hmm. they have to, oh, we wanna, you want to leave the Republic? That's fine. You can do that. And said, nope, they have to have all this war, death, cause of the empire to bring about. Like, they just can't respect property rights and every single other shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's just well, like, in it's fact, such, so that's one thing that they did that they did right in a sense was they had Dooku flash his red sword at Yoda at the end of episode two to make it clear that he's on the bad guy's side. This isn't just he's we have a political difference of opinion. Mm -hmm. He's now using the dark side of the force and is clearly mm -hmm. like aligned with evil against the principles of light and justice. Whatever. Mm -hmm. So then that just helps better lay the trap for the Jedi that mm -hmm. he must be fought, even if we're doing what we don't think is right, turning ourselves into generals and mm -hmm. militarizing in order to do this. What choice do we have when the separatists are led by a former one of our guys who we know has all these magic powers and also is now avowedly evil and happy mm -hmm. to say so kind of thing. So um, that's the way they set it up. But, yeah. uh, you know, the problem uh, there, you know, 
it's kind of unfortunate the way and I'm no screenwriter, so I can't really complain that bad. Mm -hmm. But, you know, somebody could have written a tighter thing where trailing you along through the three movies. If you get it that Palpatine is the bad guy and the way it's all scam, that it's still good. And that, but if you don't understand yet that it's not too blatant and whatever, and and mm -hmm. leaves you with a, a nice surprise in episode three, even when he reveals himself to Anakin in episode three, it was very poorly directed. That scene, yeah. just the way that all played out, it wasn't didn't quite play right. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, and maybe Ian McDermott wasn't really the best actor to play the young emperor. Honestly, yeah. you know what I mean? He's, I don't know. Um, yeah. He was old but, uh, in this, he was he was old in episode six and they made they made it back with a prequel and he's even older now. It was like yeah, it was I like, mean it kind of made sense. It, he made sense as the senator in episode one. I could see that, but yeah, I don't know. I'm being way too picky now. They should have <laughs> had a stuntman do his lightsaber fight. I know that. But um same with Samuel Jackson. I watched that fight scene today. It's so poorly done. Mace yeah, is like you know, one handed bent always. Like, what is it? This looks this looks you know, so I dumb. even read this book. I read a book that was like about the making of episode three, you know, the, mm -hmm. the production of it. Mm -hmm. And they talked about in there how they had these two badass stuntmen who'd spent months doing this fight, the Sam Jackson mm -hmm. uh, uh, Palpatine fight. Mm -hmm. And how then, you know, part of it was, you know, we got to get like further away shots so that then later we can do the face replacement thing and it'll be mm -hmm. good enough for you, kind of whatever it is. And, and they're all ready. And then Lucas shows up and goes, oh, no, 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 no. I want this shot right up close. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, but, you know, Sam Jackson has, like, done a little bit of martial arts stuff. But Ian McDermott doesn't know how to fight, dude, at all. <laughs> and, and he's had no time, really, to practice with a lightsaber. And how tough can Ian McDermott really be with a lightsaber mm -hmm. against Sam Jackson? Like, it's it's going to be hard to do it that way, you know. But he insisted. That nope, it's it's got to be all close up, so it has to be Ian McDermott fighting Sam Jackson. And no offense to the guy, but just he wasn't up to that. But he mm -hmm. wasn't he had no reason to prepare for that. There was going to be a stuntman was going to do this badass fight, which mm -hmm. who knows if they could have you know how great that would have been. But it must have probably yeah. would have been better, you know, had to have been that played out. But anyway, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I I got to tell you though. The uh, I was actually just rereading my article that I wrote in 2005 for antiwar.com when episode three came out. It's called <laughs> Star Wars and the American Empire. And um, now I forgot what I was going to say about it. Uh, one of the points I made in there about. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, man, I lost my train of thought. It's all good. Everybody go read that article. It has great thoughts in it that I can't it's a, remember. It's, a, right it's now. a good article. It's a good article. Um, yeah, the one of the things I was, yeah. So one of the things I noticed when I was rewatching the prequels, there really isn't any good guys. Everyone on the Republic side plays their role exactly the way Palpatine set it up for them. Yeah. The, the mindless drones, the, the useless ideologues who just play exactly into his plan. I'm not going to call drones the good guys. You know, yeah. there's really no good guys in the original in the, in the prequel trilogy. I mean, it's, it's, at one point, maybe one guy saying something probably had like adapt his plan. I can then say he was a good guy, but all throughout it, everyone does exactly as 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 they're supposed to do. You know, it's pretty much, yeah. I mean, and they also show like where where Amidala or Anakin thwart his plans in Episode One that mm -hmm. he adapts and wins anyway. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, 
I don't know if, if episode two went, you know, essentially exactly as he wanted, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but yeah, oh, um, uh, what I was going to say was something about the War on Terror era where, oh, I know what it was. It was about when episode three came out, people were saying, oh, this is a direct allusion to um, W. Bush and the Iraq war. And George Lucas says, well, no, it's not. He goes, I wrote this in the 1980s when we were backing Saddam Hussein against Iran. Now is a quote. He says that. Um, and he goes and and then now we're fighting. And he goes and really the story was about Vietnam. It wasn't about that at all. It was mm-hmm. about Vietnam. And now we're fighting them, which is a lot like Vietnam, isn't it? Or mm-hmm. something like that. So and that was part of the story that. You know, this is like in some of the DVD commentary and different interviews mm-hmm. of Lucas and whatever the years were. You know, um, essentially what happened was after Nixon won in the landslide of 72, where, you know, the Watergate break-in was all surrounding that election, but didn't become a big scandal until a little bit later. Mm-hmm. So right after he won that landslide, they were talking about amending the Constitution to repeal the 22nd Amendment so that Richard Nixon could run for a third term. He's such a great president. What would we ever do without him? Good old Richard Nixon. He ought to be able to stay in office like FDR. And they were really talking like that. I didn't know that. That was what that was part of what inspired Lucas to write a story about, as he puts it, about how a democracy becomes a dictatorship Mm -hmm. and how the world is lousy with dictatorships of all different descriptions, monarchs Mm -hmm. and whatever. But what is interesting to him was stories like Rome and Germany and America, where we have a democracy, but we turn it into an empire and ultimately an authoritarian state. And so and then he thought, well, and I'll put it in space and I'll make the Americans the good guys, which would be easier pill to swallow kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, it'll be about America. And so Mm -hmm. then, you know, the the Ewoks were supposed to be Wookiees. And they just wanted to save money, so they cut the costumes in half, basically, and 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 turn them into Ewok. It would have been a much better uh, end to Jedi if it mm-hmm. had been, you know, Wookiee slaves that they were freeing, who then helped rise up. That was the original story, and that was supposed to be a direct so reference. Better. I'm sorry, that would have been so much better. I oh, mean, yeah. that would have would have been incredible. Yeah, I mean, it is for kids in a way. Like when it came out, and I was in. I was in second grade and it was awesome. I didn't mind the Ewoks. I thought they were rad. So mm. that was, I was really the intended audience then. <laughs> Me then was. Mm. But anyway, I would have loved the Wookiees more. You're right. But I was happy with Ewoks. <laughs> but anyway, the point is that the Wookiees in that role or the Ewoks in that role, they were supposed to represent the Vietnamese who had brought down this technologically superior imperial force with essentially sticks and stones dressed in black pajamas, right? Was, you know, the narrative. And so that was kind of an illusion to them. And then also you see the way they did the Ewoks. They kind of made them a little bit like Native Americans too, mm-hmm. with, you know, the way uh, their customs and whatever like that, um, which I don't know exactly what all tribes. They had one of their songs, when they're singing their song, that was an old Chinese woman singing an old tribal song that, mm-hmm. you know, when, she, when they're like preparing the fire to burn mm-hmm. Hansel at the stake or whatever. <laughs> Uh, at the spit. Um, but anyway, so so that was a big part of it. And then also, of course, you know, in the original movies, Hoth is Valley Forge. 
Hmm. Right. And the, and it's not an accident that all the Imperial off. I mean, they filmed the damn thing in Britain, so it's lucky this way. But mm-hmm. all the Imperial officers are Brits and all the American rebel leaders are all Americans, you know, mm-hmm. um, which was, you know, a, a reference to our revolution there and especially mm-hmm. Valley Forge there on Hoth. Um, and uh, but so anyway, you know, he's borrowing. He, he borrowed from all different periods of history and everybody else's movies and all different kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, the purpose of the story, right, is, um, as he puts it, to create modern mythology for mm-hmm. for young people to get a grips on what's right and what's wrong and being true to yourself and your friends and and all of this. But mm-hmm. it's also like politics, you know, it's some um, civics 101, right? It's like high oh, yeah. school civics, right? The, you know, republic, good, empire, bad, mm-hmm. you know, the light side of the force means knowledge and defense. And the dark side is aggression and attack of other people, you know, and all of that stuff. It's, you know, it's this basic myth building stuff, but it's also it's showing a mirror to the American people about what's supposed to be a constitutional republic or, you know, little d democracy in terms of sovereignty based on the people's consent and all that. Um, and, and what happens to your freedom when you let greed take control and take you to war and stay at war? And so, I mean, the parallel of the war on terrorism is just about perfect with bin Laden as General Grievous somewhere out there as, you know, for for 10 years, they let him go before they finally got him. And then you still got Baghdadi and and others to come and replace him. They'll switch him off with the Ayatollah or whoever they need to um, to uh, to, you know, say we there's this army of of the uh, evildoers out there which justify our empire. Which, oh, yeah. in fact, you know, if you read the book, I have the quote there. It's from the Weekly Standard, the Warhawks magazine mm-hmm. from, uh, I guess, October 2001, right after September 11th, where a very senior special operations commander tells the writer that the uh, saying, right, the cliche among the joint staff at the Pentagon, the policy planners for the Joint Chiefs of Staff was terrorism is a small price to pay for being a superpower and so terrorism is you know just like count duca was saying hey it's the corruption that drove me away or whatever it was you know uh it was the empire that provoked the enemy against us Mm -hmm. and then that becomes the excuse to what not just try to dominate the rest of the planet but to corrupt our system Mm -hmm. of governance here and and honestly like when was the last time you heard somebody say, yeah, of course, go ahead. It's a free country. You people don't say that anymore. Yeah. Like, I'm not I'm not that old. Hell, I guess I am. I'm 45. When I was a kid, people used to say that. Yeah, go mm-hmm. ahead. It's a free country. Right. Or like if they were mad at a cop or, you know, mm-hmm. the government getting away with some kind of transgression, they would say, hey, this is America. Yeah. Which meant like- that you might be able to do that anywhere else in the world like mexico or russia or something Mm -hmm. but not here here Mm -hmm. we draw a line here we care about being free and you can't people don't say that anymore that was uh and and um and south park uh wandy when he got a west of game to a a broad a kid's game you i'm sorry i thought it was america oh yeah america yeah that's probably the last time you heard anybody say it right it was on south park drunken randy on south park (laughs) who in fact is crossing the line and instigating yeah. a fist fight, right? Um, it's Baghdad. 
Yeah, but no, like, look, before 2001, there wasn't a Department of Homeland Security. Didn't mm -hmm. exist. Okay, the, the Patriot Act, for example, you know, I don't know how you quantify it exactly, but say, you know, the the uh, FBI's power, the Department of Justice's power over the American mm -hmm. people grew by another half. Mm. Right. Uh, the CIA and the NSA both launched massive uh, electronic spying campaigns against the entire planet and including the United States, where every bit of what we're doing is caught up in, in what they're doing and all of that. And so. This is what I was talking about before, about what they kind of left out of the Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. You know, I always regretted that they did episode one the way they did. They should have had episode two be episode one. And you just allude to his past. But you mm -hmm. don't have to show it. But you could have him saying, eh, look, Obi-Wan, we need to go and free my mom. Yeah. It bothers me that I'm a Jedi Knight and we left her there. Like, we could go back mm -hmm. and get her. Can, can I get a loan from the Jedi <laughs> Council? Like, go buy her from Watto? Or, what? You like, show some kind of conflict about mm -hmm. that to allude to it. But then you would have episode two free to show the Clone War and show, mm. you know, this is like the deleted scenes out of episode three because it's too late to tell it. They try to cram mm -hmm. it into episode three. It didn't fit. But they needed some some scenes where Amidala is meeting with Bail Organa and Mon Mothma and the other mm -hmm. future leaders of the Rebel Alliance mm -hmm. saying and they don't really execute it well in the deleted scene anyway. Yeah. But it should be. Boy, we really screwed up. Mm hmm. We wanted to defeat the separatists, and man, we really have handed a full dictatorship to Palpatine. And mm -hmm. even though he's our guy and we're his guys, we're now the ones most concerned about his ass. And maybe we need to overthrow him, which is actually like would be a great way to put them in the same bind that the Jedi are in. How do mm -hmm. we overthrow the Chancellor without being overthrowers of the Chancellor, which you're not allowed to do, you yeah. know, or what, you know, this kind of thing. Um, but they could have shown. You know, in the middle chapter, they could have shown the Jedi and the good senators and, and whatever having going through more of a, a gray uh, area period there where they see how in attempting to save the Republic, they're the mm -hmm. ones who are ruining it forever. Mm -hmm. And and in fact, enslaving these planets who are just trying to secede from the Union are not really trying to conquer them at all, but are just trying to go their separate ways. And they do put a little bit of this in chapter three, right, where. He's like, oh, you're starting to sound like a separatist and whatever. But but it's it's just kind of too late because in episode two, the Republic is great. At the mm -hmm. end of episode two, it's like, well, the war has begun. And then at the beginning of episode three, it's like, geez, another constitutional amendment or whatever. But it's like you haven't seen any of that mm -hmm. happen. And then, like I was saying, even when they went and made the Clone Wars to fill in, they still didn't really tell that story until the yeah. very, very end of it. Do they start like now all of a sudden? Um, Moff Tarkin is standing around and they're starting to wear Imperial Grey mm -hmm. and, you know, things start changing a little bit. But that's not till the very end of the yeah. Clone Wars uh, series, which is like eight years long. You know what I mean? They could have mm -hmm. been doing a lot of that all along. But oh, yeah. anyway, now, the Clone, I, 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 I watched I watched the uh, final season of Clone Wars recently on uh, Disney Plus and it's so oh, uh -huh. good. It's so good. I mean, they, it's it's so much more mature than when it was on like a Disney Channel, it's like network. Show, oh, you're you know? saying when they did the last couple seasons there? Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah no, no, there is really good stuff in those last mm -hmm. couple seasons. I just wish yeah. that they had taken a little bit more of that darker turn, you know, yeah. throughout the thing. Definitely. You know? Definitely. Because there's so many opportunities for that. Too. In fact, I'll tell you what really pissed me off. I actually went back and watched rewatched the Clone Wars um, recently when I was sick with COVID for a couple of days. Um, I won't pick on Anthony Samaroff for giving it to me anymore. But <laughs> I sat there and I watched the I watched the Clone Wars again. And 
I had noticed this and it pissed me off the first time, but it really pissed me off the second time watching through. And they have this story. It's like a three or four episode story where uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan are the CIA and they're back in Al-Qaeda on this planet, planet Syria. And it's um, uh, Saw Guerrera, yeah, who's Saw in Guerrera. Rogue One, right? The mm-hmm. character that's played by uh, uh, Forrest uh, Whitaker. Forrest Whitaker, right? Forrest Whitaker, yeah. Forrest Whitaker's character from Rogue One is the leader of Al Qaeda in Syria, and Obama. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, Obama Yoda sends um, Anakin and Obi Wan, the CIA, to go and back these Al Qaeda terrorists who are trying to overthrow their dictator. Mm-hmm. Um, because then they'll get their old dictator back. That's all they want is their old king back. They don't want freedom, you know, yeah. liberty and elections or whatever. They want their old leader back because he will join the Republic and help them mm-hmm. fight the war against the droids. So that's why they give a shit, right? It's just yeah. for their own strategic interests anyway. They, mm-hmm. they wear that up front. But then the whole thing is like, oh, gee whiz, Master, how come we can't give them even more weapons? Because the tow missiles and U.S. dollars we've given them so far aren't quite enough. And it, it even is, I swear to God, it even comes down to anti-tank missiles that they give mm-hmm. them that help turn the tide at the end. Like, holy crap. Like, it's absolutely direct propaganda. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, so the, the, the narrative is, essentially, if when you're watching that in real time, when that came out in 2014 or whatever it was, that, mm-hmm. Yeah, we're supposed to be back in Al Qaeda in Syria is clearly mm-hmm. the message here. And it's really too bad that the Jedi Council won't commit the forces required to take care of it. <laughs> but good luck to the Al Qaeda guys. Hope mm-hmm. that they achieve their ends or whatever. That was the narrative there. But then just think about what's the opposite of that. <laughs> they could have made that such a cool story mm-hmm. that this is how crazy and corrupt the war is now. Yeah. That they got Obama, they got um, uh, Obi Wan and Anakin acting as CIA officers going under deep cover to back Al-Qaeda terrorists mm. to overthrow this government for their own mm. selfish reasons that they need in the larger war that mm-hmm. could condemn these people to some worse, horrible tyranny and absolutely condemns them to all this violence going on in their country and whatever. And how this could be a great thing where Obi-Wan is saying to Anakin or vice versa that like, man, I don't think we should be doing this. <laughs> And then, hey, man, above my pay grade, whatever, dude. And right and go and show this is what it is when America's mm-hmm. back in Al Qaeda in Syria. It's a horror show. Mm-hmm. It's exactly what we should not be doing, yeah. you know, and and what the CIA officers involved at the time mm-hmm. knew was wrong and didn't want to do. You know, I mm-hmm. know a former CIA guy who when Trump called off support for Al Qaeda in Syria in the summer mm-hmm. of 2017, you know, and there was a lot of tension between Trump and the CIA for various important reasons. Mm-hmm. But I asked my former CIA friend, hey, what do the guys at Langley think of that? Are they pissed off at Trump for calling off support for these terrorists? And he's like, hell no. They hated that job, dude. They hated that program. They weren't for that at all. That's the bosses. You know, mm-hmm. that's John Brennan and the Obama bots, you know, up in D.C. who mandate that. And then, yes, the CIA does their job. But was the CIA really happy to be back in Al-Qaeda in Syria against Assad? No, they'd have been just as happy or happier helping Assad kill them if it Mm -hmm. had come down to it. And, you know, at least that was the way he told me they weren't mad at Trump for that at all. Mm -hmm. They were perfectly happy. So 
they could have done that, right? Mm -hmm. Like if they had had any balls, instead of just being a bunch of Democrats, right? If they had had like any kind of moral courage to understand that, not even from a libertarian point of view, but how about just a further leftist point of view, right? Mm -hmm. Like there are further leftists who were, you know, harsh critics of the Obama Democrats for taking the side of Al-Qaeda in Libya and in Syria, right? So I'm not saying they had to be perfect. They had to quote Ron Paul mm -hmm. getting it 100%, right? But they could have mm -hmm. quoted a lot of good leftists. They could have taken a really cool kind of cynical angle. Like, mm -hmm. this is what the Jedi Council will stoop to in the name of ending mm -hmm. this war, man. They'll use weapons mm -hmm. of mass destruction. They'll use, they'll, you know, they'll back terrorists in dirty wars against civilians and wage wars against, you know, neutral planets that didn't have mm -hmm. anything to do with this, but we need that hyperspace lane or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. And they could have really showed why by the time Palpatine tells the world that, it's all the Jedi's fault. People believe it. Mm -hmm. They believe him and not them. Oh, yeah. Why is that? It's because, yeah, they've been doing a lot of sick lately. He mm -hmm. says that they're responsible for both sides of the war. Well, everybody knows Dooku used to be one of them, right? Mm -hmm. And then, so it's believable because of what bastards they should have been acting like recently. But mm -hmm. they don't ever show that, right? Yeah. Anyway, I'm way off on a tangent. but that's <laughs> no, It's all good. No. Um, on the Star Guerrero thing, they saw when um he pops up again at the sequel series, Star Wars Rebels. That was on Disney uh -huh. XD. And what I loved about that was his appearance in there is he's he's too extreme for the for the rebellion. Right. And it's like this oh, really right. so it shows like, hey, when you train someone, they might go off and do their own thing later. Right. You know, that was a little lesson in there about maybe training people like Taylor is a bad move, you know. But I guess most people miss that because most people are, are stupid. It's yeah. Ugh. You know, Rebels, I should probably watch some of that again. That was all right. I didn't pay too much attention. I kind of had that on while I was working. Didn't watch that one too close. Are you watching this new one, The Bad Batch? I am. It's... See, I hate the Australian girl. She just doesn't fit in the damn thing at all. It's yeah. Just, it sticks out like such a sore thumb. But I am a Star Wars dork, so I'm still watching it anyway. Mm -hmm. And I do like seeing kind of the early Empire. They're, they're doing some cool kind of background story of the rise mm -hmm. of the Empire in the background there. But oh, yeah. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of Star Wars stuff now coming out, and I'm trying to keep up with all of it. But there's just too much. Yeah, you know, like they're putting out all these books and games, TV shows. It's like I can't keep up with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, in a way, like it's really a good thing that the sequels were just so damned terrible and absolutely forgettable that you don't have to worry about keeping up with that <laughs> crap. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, who even cares about any of that part of the story at all? Mm -hmm. So mm. I had a friend of mine, um, well, my wife's friend, but I like the guy. I'm not trash. <laughs> um, he loves episode seven. No, pardon me. Worse. Episode eight. Oh. And he wanted to do a thing where we watch episode eight together and he talks about what he likes about it. And I talk about what I hate about it. We kind of discuss everything. And I told him, man, I don't want to ever see that movie again. <laughs> Not yeah, even to trash it for a million views on YouTube. I just mm -hmm. don't even want to ever watch yeah. that piece of crap again. It's the worst thing that ever happened to me in my life. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to sit there and watch it. It is. It's, it's, the, it's the only Star Wars film I only saw once. I was it's like as bad as that time my auntie died. Just, <laughs> it's just horrible. It is bad. Horrible. I, I have to rewatch it tomorrow for a podcast I'm doing on it, and I'm not looking forward to it. I'm only watching it so I can it some more. That's it. But I'm I'm not excited for it, man. It's gonna. Uh, I'm gonna probably oh, have to get the high. Worst thing. 
might have to get high My wife, she tried to walk out uh, right at the beginning. And uh, I was like, no, wait, let's see where they're going with this. And then, oh, man. Should have listened. Should have just walked right out. (laughs) Yeah, it was so bad. Mm. Okay, well, we are parts of it that I forget. And then I remember again. And I'm like, Mm. oh. Just going like, about your day. One time, like, oh. yeah, one time I went like a year without remembering the Yoda scene. And then <laughs> someone was like, well, what about the Yoda scene? I like that. And I was like, oh, no. Like, I just, <laughs> maybe I should shoot myself in the head and then put myself out of this misery. Is that seems like the most rational option at this point. So I don't have to think about the goddamn Yoda scene in, C- in episode eight ever again. God was- damn. I hate that movie so much. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. To think that people complained about too much C-3PO in The Empire Strikes Back. Are you kidding me? Shut up. That movie was perfect. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Oh, by the way, for people who don't know this, and look, this is actually a really big deal, man. For people who don't know this, you can go on the piratebay.org, get yourself a VPN, but actually you don't even need a VPN for this. Go on the piratebay.org and get the despecialized versions mm. of Star Wars. And there's something called the silver screen edition of Star Wars 4. I don't know what the difference is really, but just type in despecialized. And what you get is the original ass versions of episode four, five, and six without mm. any of the special edition modification. Mm. And I have to tell you the truth is there's not one thing that they added in any of the special editions. And every time they've released the thing since the late 90s, they've changed something, mm-hmm. you know? Um, oh, just over and over and over and over. The last time, I guess, was for the Blu-ray. But they just, mm-hmm. you know, over and over and over, they just keep changing it and changing it and changing it. At no point have any of these changes been positive, mm-hmm. right? Like, you put a job of the hut in there, but we already have every bit of that dialogue from the confrontation with Greedo. Like, it just mm-hmm. doesn't work at all. And you mm-hmm. have him step on, uh, Han Solo steps on his tail and all this, which is just it's stupid. the worst edit I've ever seen when he just, like, move him up and over. It's so yeah. bad. And and then, and look, and, and they keep redoing it, right? Because they can't mm-hmm. make it look right. So the 97 version was an absolute abortion. But then same thing for the rest of them. There's no way to make it look right. Mm-hmm. You know, they just compromised on this. It's terrible. And then why is Boba Fett there? not supposed to show us Boba Fett until the Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. And he's a badass new character and he's part of the action and this, this whole thing. Now all of a sudden he's there. But why do you need, you know, this kind of, and all the way through like that, where um, you know, like even uh, I just saw on TV, flipping through the channels the other day, they showed toward the end of the Empire Strikes Back. And the line used to be Darth Vader says at Bespin, he says, bring my shuttle. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing you see He's on his Star Destroyer again. And you go, oh, I get it. He said, bring my shuttle. And then he went to his Star Destroyer, right? Mm-hmm. Well, now they change it to alert my Star Destroyer to prepare for my arrival. <laughs> what difference does that make? It, right? But then, uh, you know, anyway, that doesn't provide any information that's required there. Like, yes, it adds Star Destroyer, but you're about to show him on the damn Star Destroyer. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Anyway. But then it's not just that. They show him in a Lambda-class Imperial shuttle flying from Bespin to the Star Destroyer. And in fact, it looks screwy. And it's a bad shot the way they did the shot. Mm-hmm. The shuttle's flying all crooked and weird. But 
That was the whole cool ass part of the beginning of Return of the Jedi. The Star Destroyer flies overhead and you see the Lambda class shuttle come down. For the first time, you see something come out of the Star Destroyer instead of it sucking something up. And it's this cool shit you've never seen before. And Darth Vader's on the thing going to the Death Star. And that's how, and that's how Jedi begins. Now, it's just another ship. You've seen it before and they, and they showed it kind of from far away. Like it didn't even, it wasn't even supposed to look cool at all when they first introduced it to you now at the end of the special edition. And, and anyway, and just on and on and on like that. The, the way they redid the whole dance scene in Jabba's palace is mm -hmm. horrible. Doesn't add anything. It ruins the way it was before. Mm -hmm. um, oh, in Empire, where they swapped out the old weird looking emperor hologram with, um, with Ian McDermott in his makeup, mm -hmm. but then they changed his lines. And now the story doesn't make as much sense anymore. And I forgot exactly what it is, but it's the way that they talk about Skywalker mm -hmm. is now it's screwed up and it raised, I forgot what it was. I, I had to look at it again recently, but, um, but they changed his lines in a way that screws up the narrative of Vader and the emperor and Luke and what's going on with all of that. And, and, it, mm -hmm. you know, and just, so anyway, there are people I'm sure who have watched you know, hey, look, watch Star Wars, and people show them the special editions, and they probably think this sucks. I, like, I, what's I, I so great about this? Because, because a lot. Oh, the other thing, and this is the most obvious one, right? Is mm. is Greedo shoots first at Han Solo, or now mm. they shoot at the same time, or whatever. But that kind of ruins the whole story of Han Solo mm. being kind of a maybe bad guy, mm -hmm. and then by the end of the movie comes and rescues Luke. So he's got mm -hmm. the arc there. Later on, he becomes a general and a real hero and all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, but now it's like, well, he may have shot a man, but it was totally in self-defense, dude. When in fact, Greedo is already holding a gun on him. Mm -hmm. And if somebody's doing that, you have the right to shoot him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you have to move your hand above the table to shoot him when he's clearly already drawn on you the whole time. Mm -hmm. I would shoot him under the table. I think that's fair, dude. Oh, yeah. He was, Greedo was already pointing a damn gun at him. Mm -hmm. So anyway, it gave him, he was still a good guy, mm -hmm. but it gave him a little bit of bad guy. I think I read somewhere someone complained about this and said, the whole point there is it raises the question of whether, because Luke and, and Obi-Wan don't see this part. They don't mm -hmm. see him shoot a guy. Right. So then this is like raises the question whether Luke and Obi-Wan can trust this guy. He's a drug dealer. He's a smuggler. He's got this crazy ape mm -hmm. co-pilot, dude. And mm -hmm. he and he's a big shot, big mouth, you know, and whatever. Mm -hmm. And 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 might ditch them at the first sign of trouble or who knows. Mm -hmm. Right. But now you take that away yeah. by making Greedo shoot first. Now he's like Luke. He's Luke's older brother from the very mm -hmm. beginning and everything's fine from the very beginning, you know, yeah. kind of thing. And totally takes. So, you know, I don't think there's one thing they did with the special editions that helped all that did screwed up. So people should go to the pirate bay and get the despecialized editions oh, yeah. and watch Definitely. the original ones. Not that they're perfect, but just that the special edition changes only kind of ruin them only kind mm -hmm. of screw them up instead of making them better. Absolutely. You know, and, I was and they really are great, man. If you go, if you ever go like a long time without watching Star Wars four, like I, I don't know. I mean, I'm old, man. I've seen this thing a million times. I mean, really, I've seen this more times than all of y'all. Um, but I kind of went, I don't know, maybe even five years or something without watching Star Wars. Mm -hmm. uh, possibly even a little bit longer than that. And I sat down and watched it. I'm like, man, this is really good. You know, they got just the right amount of 
princess and wizard and magic mixed mm -hmm. with the farm boy and the spaceships mm -hmm. and the lasers and all the high tech, you know, science fiction stuff and whatever. And just and it isn't all Lucas. It's Lucas and all of his guys, Gary Kurtz and all the guys who worked on that and put that together. Like, man, they just nailed it with that. Mm -hmm. And right down to like the moment when Han saves Luke at the end and everything like that, it just mm -hmm. comes together. Per, you yeah. know, and you know, I'm sure you know that all came together in the edit where mm -hmm. they, you know, in the original in the original scene, it's even been released by this. You can find it mm -hmm. where it's the original scene where Luke misses the first time he goes back the second time and and Vader's not even on his tail anymore or anything. There's no tension at all. And it's all sucked. So it was, you know, this Chinese guy, I forgot his name in the edit, fixed it and made it, you know, I had the tension build up just perfect there for the uh, end of the Death Star and all of that. So, yeah, I don't know. I really do love it. It really does stand oh, yeah. as a great movie, even all this it, time later, I think. Yes, I actually, I watched it recently. There was a, a girl came over. We were going to watch the movie, watch Star Wars. She'd never seen it before. Mm -hmm. Never seen it before. About 20 minutes in, she says, this is boring. I haven't talked to a yeah. cent. I haven't talked to a cent. I'm like, this is over. I have, I have no, this is over. No more. <laughs> it was, you know what? Ugh. I mean, honestly, it does. It takes 20 minutes before you meet Luke. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of sand and a lot of like, you know, the intrigue is a little bit hardy in a way, you know, the droids stranded in the desert and stuff mm -hmm. like compared to the pace of an Avengers movie or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it takes a while, a little while to get going, but it's yeah. trying to really draw you into the setting mm -hmm. here that like, what is this shiny golden robot doing on this desolate old planet mm -hmm. and all of that kind of thing, you know, mm -hmm. but uh, well, this, has been a, this has been a lot of fun. We've gone way over the time limit we plan, plan for, but that's been great. It's been so much fun. Cool, um, man. I got I got two more questions. Yeah, two more, uh, just plug your stuff. Where can people find you? We're going to get your books. You know what? Uh, let's plug your stuff real quick and. Sure. So um, I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute, libertarianinstitute.org. I'm the editorial director of antiwar.com. I'm the host of the Scott Horton Show. Got 5,500 interviews going back to 2003 Jesus. for you, all at scotthorton.org. And I wrote Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan. I'm the editor of The Great Ron Paul, the Scott Horton Show uh, transcripts from 2004 to 2019. And uh, the latest book is Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism which is a history of all of America's Middle East wars from um, really right around the time Star Wars was coming out, 1979, um, when I was a toddler, uh, all the way through right now. You know, it's an incredible book. I'm reading it now, and it's every, every page I have to stop. I'm like, this is, we suck. Like Every page, I'm like, oh, God, we suck. It's We're the empire in the story, man. Yeah, it's That's sad. <laughs> yeah, right, so... Well, everyone, uh, thanks for listening. This has been the uh, Catholic Libertarian with Scott Horn. Everybody have a great night. May the force be with you.